Great are you, Lord, and worthy of glory. Great are you, Lord, and you are worthy of all our praise. Lord, I pray that you would indeed be praised by us tonight as we go before your word and as we see what it has to say to us so that we will be the men and women of God you have created us to be. Bless us now, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. What if God created marriage to make us holy instead of happy? What if marriage was not all about personal fulfillment and was more about personal holiness? Oh, come on. What an absurd question. Everything you see, everywhere you go, is all about self-fulfillment, personal growth, finding what makes me happy. Talk about an out-of-touch question. Okay, well, then let's look at marriage from a slightly different angle. The reason there is so much misery in marriage is not that husbands and wives seek their own pleasure, but that they do not seek it, their pleasure, in the pleasure of their spouses. What if the happiness we are supposed to get from being married came because we were making our spouse happy? Marriage is not about me. It is like all things, all about Jesus. Today, we're going to see that marriage is about discipleship. Now, discipleship is the intentional pursuit of holiness. It is deciding that it is your goal and is pursuing that goal of becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship is the intentional pursuit of holiness in Christ, and that is the reason God gave us marriage. Now, of course, there is, as we have spoken here before, creativity, there's community, there's choice, there's being good stewards of that little piece of creation that God has put under our control, but none of this can displace the real purpose of marriage, which is to make two people reflect the glory of Jesus in a dark and decaying world. We have entered now into a new section of Matthew. As you have heard me say now a couple of times, there's five major discourses. There's five major sermons that pretty much decide how Matthew, the book of Matthew, is organized. And there's little travel narratives in between that. And there's little miracle narratives in between that. But 19 and 20 are the last major section. And and they kind of serve as a bridge going from chapter 18, which was his fourth major discourse, right into his passion, right into the time when he marches into Jerusalem at the beginning of Matthew 21. And one of the things I am so enjoying as we are going through Matthew, I know it's taking us a long time, but thank you for being patient, 
is piecing together portions of Matthew that I hadn't seen the connection before. And what we are going to find in the next couple of weeks as we go through chapters 19 and 20 is that they are all about discipleship. They're all about this intentional pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus. We're going to see this, first of all, in discipleship within marriage. And then we're going to be following it with the reminder of the truth that we learned in Matthew 18 about being childlike and climbing onto the knee of Jesus. And as this closeness to Jesus is the essence of what it means to be like Christ. Then discipleship with regards to money and the slavery that money can inflict upon us, both when we are rich and when we are poor. And finally, we will see a call to embracing the shame of following Jesus, making disciple, making disciples, even when it doesn't mean crowns and jewels and soft beds and nice 401ks, but following Jesus when our eyes have been opened to the worth of discipleship that is far above anything and everything we can find on this earth. Matthew 19 and 20 are all about discipleship before they're about these marriages and 401ks. Make no mistake. Christianity is all about discipleship. Making disciple, making disciples is not something that super Christians do or that's what we pay the pastors to do. Making disciple, making disciples is what we do. Christians exist to win souls and make disciple, making disciples for God's glory. That is why we're here. And it's with this understanding that we're going to carry with us over the next couple of weeks, we begin to understand marriage and 401ks. We want to answer this question, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than happy? We'll find as we go, this is a good, constantly reminding tool for us so that you and I can be better spouses, so that you and I can be better disciples. We'll find here and to a degree throughout chapters 19 and 20 that pruning, shaving off that which is keeping us back from discipleship is one of the most painful but helpful things in making you and I like Jesus. Tonight we're going to see where Jesus commands us to cut off everything that you won't disciple. Let's go to our passage. And I'm going to read all 12 verses to begin with. 19 verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And he said to them, Why then did Moses command us one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning this was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adulteries. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For some are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, for those who were in first century and those who were in the 21st century, The idea that we can't get a divorce because our wives make too much spaghetti or too few tacos sounds oppressive. And now it really just sounds intolerant. What do you mean I can't get a divorce for any reason? You might as well not get married. You might as well cut off your member so that you're not even tempted to be married. Now, What's really cool about this passage, Jesus doesn't deny that. Jesus does not deny such radical narrow-mindedness. Instead, He calls you and me to cut off everything you and I won't disciple. Verses 1-3. to Right into the text. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And He entered the region, and large crowds followed Him, and He hailed them there. And Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Well, here we are. This is basically Matthew's formula for wrapping up a discourse and beginning a new set of chapters. And He walked away from the predominantly Gentile region back to the predominantly Jewish region of Judah. And he healed them. Now, that should give us pause for a second. How many people in Judah and Galilee were sick in those days and who never got healed? Jesus healed And the primary reason that He healed, remember we've talked about this now a couple times, is so that God the Father would validate the message that He was giving to the people. This is my amen. I'm amening everything Jesus says. And it's significant that Matthew points out Jesus healed him there because He's about to give a very controversial teaching. A very hard teaching. And don't get any ideas that it was easier to teach this in the first century than it is today. No! People's hearts are just as hard now as they were then. So, those who hated Jesus and His message tried to trip Him up. They took a common debate of the day and they tried to pin Him down because they figured that 50% of the people who were on this side and 50% of the people on this side one of those two sides is going to hate him. 
And if we can get them to hate Jesus, then we're doing well. Jesus will be lined up on the wrong side of history. And, as is still common today, they twisted their question. They worded their question very carefully so as to trip him up. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, men's hearts are the same today as they were then. The truth almost never fits on a bumper sticker. It almost always takes a time to sit down and converse with someone so that they can get an idea of the truth. And as you can imagine, I've been asked a lot of questions. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, well, do you want to hear an answer to that question or do you just want a bumper sticker? Because if you just want a bumper sticker, then I'm not going to tell you. Because there's hundreds of bumper stickers here in Santa Maria, and you can see those. But Jesus gave an answer. Now, of course, Jesus is the wisest man who has ever walked the earth. What answer did he give? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus did something great. He didn't dodge the question. It wasn't like they were throwing a punch. He took it. All right, let's deal with this. But you're missing a point. Jesus says. You're missing something vital to the question. What God has joined together, let not man separate. One of the surest signs that someone doesn't understand what they're talking about, or alternately, a sign that they know very well what they're talking about, but they still want to trip you up, is that they distract from the reality that they know is the truth. Instead of talking about an issue, they will sidetrack. For example, in this absurd, raging debate about bathrooms, the, the way at it from the side is, as my dad asked me, why do you care about who's in the stall next to you? And what's the answer to that? I don't. I, the, the question isn't about who's in the stall next to me. The question in this raging bathroom debate is can the thought police change the way we talk and think about something so fundamental as what defines a man and a woman? Because if they can change the way you think, you know what, we're all too old. They don't give a rip about us. They want to get my three-year-old daughter. They want to change the way she thinks about gender. I mean, let's get serious here. How much more absurd can you possibly get? You don't know your gender? 
Well, pardon me, pull down your pants. <laughs> and, and, and we got doctors for that. Okay, I guarantee you that. Go get a blood test. Check every single cell in your body. We can tell whether you're a ma male or female. But the trick is, guys, to come in at it from an angle. Why do you care who's in the stall next to you? Well, I don't. But I do care that we call a man a man and a woman a woman. And that is what the problem is. Jesus, being the smartest, wisest man that has ever lived, did not fall into this trap. But back to marriage. Here, in both the marriage case and the bathroom case, the point is to think with common sense. Based upon this passage then, what do we know about marriage? Well, I came up with six things that we can learn just from these verses about marriage. First, number one, God created. He is the master. He is the rightful judge. He is the one who has given godliness and life. Number two, God created. God created the man and woman to complement each other and to share in his community, his creativity, his choice, and his crown over creation. Number three, God created the man and woman to join in a relationship that is tighter and has more priority than any other relationship on the earth. Many of you in this room know this better than I do, but your marriage is tighter and more continuous than that of your children. I'm going to have a lot of years before that becomes true. <laughs> God created, number four, the man and woman to join in a bond that is deeper than mere flesh and fundamentally spiritual to its core. Far more important than this stuff that decays and gets sick and falls apart. God meant it to be something that unites us as something that is far deeper than skin deep. Number five, God created. God created the man and woman to enjoy this bond. We, we forget that. We think for some reason that Satan has the... the um, corner on the market of enjoyment and pleasure. That is baloney. Satan has never given a true pleasure. He has twisted some. He has changed some. And he's turned them into shackles. Everybody in this room knows people like that. God created man and woman to enjoy this bond that becomes fundamental to their identity for as long as they both shall live. And number six, God created the man and woman to be bonded in such a way that the man, that mankind, people, communities, cultures, countries, even the west of the world must not tinker with to make it better according to ephemeral opinions that are self-contradictory and impossible to keep. Don't tinker with marriage because for the last 50 years we've had this idea. Far more fundamental to is what God meant for marriage to be. Now each one of these sentences can be a key thought for their own sermon. And evidently Jesus' opponents at this moment either understood the points that he was making 
or probably what they did is la 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 and they just wanted to dive in okay well that didn't work let's hit them with something else Jesus' hearers thought that they could close their noose around Jesus' neck. Let's see if they succeeded or not. Verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Seems like a pretty airtight case, right? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now note again, was this, as is very common among those who are trying to trip you up, they use a word that leads, a word that presumes what they're trying to argue. And in this case, they said, Moses commanded us. And indeed, Moses issued a command, but that command was not to divorce your wives. That command is, if you all are going to divorce your wives, this is how you got to do it. Moses, God through Moses, knowing the sinfulness of our hearts, in order to protect the woman of the relationship, allowed her to obtain a divorce when that divorce pr proved necessary. Far from being misogynistic, the God of the Bible over and over and over again elevates the dignity and protects from harm women who are living under cultures that were established by Judeo-Christian values. If our nation had been formed by Islamicists, do you think that women would have the rights they have now? Probably not. Because there are nations that were established before 1776 under Islamist guidelines and they still don't have the freedoms that we have. But again, they're missing the point. Because the point is that marriage was not created for divorce. Do you solemnly swear to marry your wife for the next five years or until you get bored? Did anybody use those vows? No, we didn't. Marriage was not created for divorce. Divorce was allowed for because we have sinful hearts. Now this is so painfully obvious, we shouldn't have to say it, but indeed we must because many around us, and my heart is deceitful above all things too, I know how this works. Many of those are around us are so blind that we have to illuminate a sign right at the end of our nose so that we see the plain truth. I can't give nearly as much time as it deserves at this moment, but Jesus gives one acceptable reason for divorce. After getting to the heart of the problem, the misunderstandings of the Pharisees, Jesus gives an answer to the original question. Can we get a divorce for any reason? Answer, marriage is made to be permanent, but if you really want to know, then sexual immorality is the reason that will carry. Okay. Now let's take a deep breath for a second. Because we're about to get into what is going to be painful for many in this room. And if you yourself haven't been through a divorce, 
You're the son of parents who were divorced before you were married, or you have experienced divorce in many other senses. So let's, let's just be real. Let's just, let's just let our defenses down for a second and be real with a very painful question, just like Jesus was real. In 1 Corinthians 7, we find out that there is another grounds for divorce. If an unbelieving spouse leaves, then the divorce can be legitimized. But as we said just a couple of weeks ago, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the sin that is not repented of. Sexual immorality can be forgiven. Unity can be achieved. Leaving can be forgiven. But any sin that is unrepented of, there's nothing you can do about it. A man or woman who will not forsake their sexual immorality of any stripe, a man or woman who will not forsake their leaving the marriage and will not be reconciled, a man or woman who will not forsake their sin, when they pursue a legal divorce, they are merely, merely formalizing what has already happened in their heart. Okay, breathe again. We're not done. I told you, this one's a tough one. Holy hard highways, Batman. This is a hard saying. Sorry, I had to throw something in there. Jesus continues, this time his disciples. The disciples said to him, Whoa, Jesus, wait a minute here. The disciples are picking up their jaws. They're, they're standing up from falling over backwards because Jesus just said something really tough and they didn't like it. You could tell they didn't like it because of what they said. If such is the case with the man and his wife, it is better not to marry. Whoa! They understood this time exactly what Jesus was getting at. But Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those to whom it was given. Yep, it's a tough one. Yep. You're right, this isn't easy. Yep, you're right, this is going to be tough. And Jesus, being the ultimately wise person in the universe, the one who knows every human heart, the one who knows your deepest, darkest secrets, the pain that your spouse doesn't even know. Yep, Jesus knows that one. That one, Jesus said, all right, people, if you're going to choose to marry, you just need to know what you're in for. You just need to know what's going on before you start walking down this road. Because of your sinful heart and because of your spouse's sinful heart, you're going to have a hard time. And if you want to know how hard a time it can be, ask my wife, because I am a tough guy to be married to. And I know that there are many of you in this room who have been divorced. And I know 
that some of you are carrying these lead weights. They're strapped to your arms. They're strapped to your feet. Some of you have sin that is piled in a burlap sack like wet cow manure. And if you used to live in Norco, California, you know what wet cow manure smells like. And you walk and it's hot and it's heavy and it stinks. And you're like, Pastor, if you knew what this was like, Some of you have been divorced and it wasn't your choice. Or some of you were divorced and it was your choice, but it was the very last thing that there was just no other choice. And I know that every single person in this room has a sinful, dark, evil heart that we would love to just be done with and we just can't wait. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, let us be done with this. I need at least one amen. Amen. Fair enough. So let us speak to one another like adults. Let us speak to one another like people who really understand what life is about. And let us speak grace. Let us Speak the kindness of the Lord who understands the heaviness of our hearts and who can wipe it away. No sin will remain unforgiven except that which is never repented of. You were divorced. Maybe you survived a difficult marriage and you just made it till one somebody died. Have you repented? Have you turned to Jesus and sought forgiveness? Have you turned to Jesus and sought forgiveness for your former spouse, your dead spouse, the spouse that still sleeps next to you but you're fighting with all the time? What about you who don't have an opportunity to forgive anymore? It's what we spent the last four weeks talking about, isn't it? That forgiveness needs to happen right there. It happens between my heart and God's throne. Take it to Him. Lord, I can't do this. God, forgive me. Give me grace. Give me your grace so that I can walk this road. Because man, Lord, it is a tough road. You can stand before your King clean. Shackles gone. Bag dropped. White robes. You can stand before your king now freed from all this cow manure and know that your sovereign God loves you. 
if you don't pick up my sermon notes every week, please pick one up this week. There's verses on the back that every single heart needs to read. Yes, I put, I don't know, 10 of them. Read every one of those 10 passages. This is what your heart needs. What does your Lord do to your sins when you repent of them? He throws them as far as the east is from the west. He tramples them down. He blots them out. He wipes them clean. And you can be free tonight. But we have to get back to the hardness of this saying. Should we get married since the standard divorce is so high? Well, that is, of course, biblically speaking, not Rome or Palestine or 21st century Santa Maria, California. And obviously, Jesus is speaking from the biblical point of view. And he's saying, not arguing, the standards are high. And then he does something that's not even necessarily polite to read in polite culture. So bear with me because this is the Bible. He says in verse 12, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. This is where I get the big idea for our passage. Cut off everything you won't disciple. Now, okay, I won't get gross. But a eunuch is one whose reproductive organs have been removed at a very young age so that reproduction and even marriage were just not even a possibility. And Jesus acknowledges that there are those who, for whatever congenital defect they have, they will never be able to reproduce. And there are those who have been eunuched by men for their own evil purposes. And then there are people who eunuch themselves for God's purposes. Now we're not talking about physical operations here. We're just talking about what goes on in the heart. What does this mean? Well, in the context of this passage... There are those who are willing and able to put aside their desire for marriage and children in the service of the king. Willing and able to go out into the king's fields and do work that a married person either wouldn't be able to do at all or wouldn't be able to do quite so easily. Marriage puts person, a person in a position where they must commit to duties that would otherwise not hinder them. For example, a man who marries must provide for his wife, whereas an unmarried man doesn't need to. A married woman is responsible to respond to her husband and his desires, whereas an unmarried woman is not. Remember, marriage is all about discipleship, not fun. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? I think he did. And we learn in verse 12, Jesus' main teaching in this context on marriage is not his only teaching on marriage. It's not all of the Bible's teaching on marriage. 
But the point that Jesus is making here is we need to cut off everything that we won't disciple. You remember a couple months ago, okay, maybe several months ago, we talked about the passage where Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And what did we decide? Is it our hand that causes us to sin? No. Our hand is just the tool that we use to sin, right? Is it our eye that makes us sin? No. It's just a convenient means of consuming the sin that we like. What is worthy of cutting off, however, is anything and everything that you will not bring under submission to the Word of God and the use of the Holy Spirit. Anything that you will not submit to God, anything that you will not allow the Holy Spirit to come into and enter and change for His glory, cut it off. Whatever it is. Now, this teaching has another side to it. The other side is that there are attitudes and actions that you are willing to submit to the Lord, then keep them. Baptize them, as it were. Use your desire to ride your bike to make relationships with other people so that you can... Talk about godly things. Use your desire to do different crafts in such a way that you make relationships with people so that you talk to them about godly things. Only don't do what we often do and just sit down and talk about football or just sit down and talk about whatever's the latest chick flick that's going on. I had to give equal time there, right? Talk about what really matters. And this command to cut off everything that you are not willing to disciple is very offensive. It is a hard saying. And I can see some of you feel it. Right here. Right now. And if I were making this stuff up, I'd be scared to death. You're going to fire me tomorrow. But it's not me. It's he, right? Do you want to be married? Be prepared to cut out any attitude or action that will keep you from following Christ and humbly climbing on his knee, as we said in Matthew 18, 1-6. Do you want to be involved in some activity? Be willing to cut off anything in that activity that keeps you from being willing and able to follow your Lord and Savior. Cut off anything in your life that is hindering you from humbling yourself before your God or if you're married humbling yourself before your spouse so that he or she can become by God's grace in your work the man or woman that God has created them to be let's pray oh Lord Thank you for the reminder this week that God, 
life is not about fun. I, I, Lord, I, I catch myself so often. Oh, did you have a good time? Was that fun? Lord, I pray that I would cut off anything and everything that is merely fun. But that I will enjoy and I will lift up in prominence in my life those things that are not only fun, but things that give you glory and help me to express your glory to those who are around me. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here as we respond to a word that our culture trains us not to listen to. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to receive what you have gifted us to receive so that we will be rejoicing in our marriage. So that we will be rejoicing in the great gifts that you have given us. And God, I pray that you would bring us back because we're going to be talking about money and discipleship there. Help us in the next couple of weeks to do that for our good, for your glory, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.